Good morning, everyone. This is Christy Balsells. I'm the Executive Director of MitoAction, and today is September 16, 2010. We're having an exclusive conversation today with Dr. Steve Summer, who is from Medomics. You can learn a little bit more about Dr. Summer on, and Medomics on his website, www.medomics.com. Really excited to speak with Dr. Summer today about blood tests for diagnosing mitochondrial disease. Many of you know that muscle biopsy has been considered the gold standard and uh, the first approach for diagnosing mitochondrial disease. So as technology is changing and there are other options, it's very exciting for patients and families who are concerned about the diagnosis and concerned about the invasive and length and cost of a muscle biopsy. I want to remind everyone that you can follow along with the slides for Dr. Summer's presentation by finding them online. On, I'm going to give you the entire URL to follow along. It's www.mitoaction.org slash blog, B-L-O-G, slash blood dash tests dash mitochondrial dash disease. And by going to that link, you'll be able to find the slides. You can always go back to find the recording or to listen to this and find the slides again by just searching blood tests for mitochondrial disease in the search box on our website. So, Dr. Summer, welcome. Well, thank you very much, and it's an honor and a pleasure to participate in my first MitoAction teleconference. Um, oh. Can you give me a yes, go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and, um, and talk a little bit about you first um, before we talk uh, about the topic. We have quite a few people who are on the call today, and an, a very good mix, I think, of parents of children who are affected by mitochondrial disease, adult patients, and then some extended family members as well, um, grandparents and um brothers and sisters who have uh, family members or children in the family who are affected, who are concerned about the potential inheritance. But before we get started on our topic, Dr. Summer, you have such a rich background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Medomics? Sure. Um, so um, I've been around a few years. Um, I... Um, I I am an MD-PhD geneticist. Um, I got my MD and PhD in 1979, and uh, then I did some postdoctoral work, and I was a founding fellow of the American College of Medical Genetics. The first exam in the specialty of genetics occurred in 1984, and... Uh, I took that exam, and <clears throat> so I'm a uh, certified clinical geneticist and clinical molecular geneticist, and, and another term for the for that second certification is a DNA diagnostician. Um, and I've been doing DNA diagnosis for over 20 years. Um, <clears throat> I was on staff at the Mayo Clinic for 11 years. Um, and then in 1996, I moved to the City of Hope um, uh, National Medical Center, which is near Pasadena, and I started the Department of Molecular 
Genetics, which is the research department, and the Department of Molecular Diagnosis, which uh, 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 which had a um, DNA diagnostic lab, which was started uh, in uh, 1997, and that became um, one of the largest academic reference labs, uh, DNA diagnostic reference labs in in, in the U.S. and um, uh, then, um, in uh, July of 2008, I decided to start Medomics to apply next-gen sequencing, a revolutionary technology, to clinical um, diagnosis. And um, uh, I, I uh, did that thinking that this was really the best way to kind of uh, take things to the next um, step. And um, in, my, in my way of uh, um, thinking, um, there's a revolution that's coming in personalized medicine. Um, and, and, uh, and I've been involved in that. I've had the privilege of being involved in that um, in the last 25 uh, years. And in very simple terms, there was darkness. There was a technique called PCR, which uh, became available or was invented about 1985. And then this technique of next-gen sequencing really became available only in, in uh, about 2005. And uh, it's those two that, um, uh, that, that really form the, um, the, that really provide the uh, tools to, to uh, bring this uh, revolution that's going to affect all of us. Um, and and um, so um, we are focused on um, two things. We're focused technologically on applying this uh, new uh, technology, and we're focused on applying it to mitochondrial medicine. We live and breathe mitochondrial medicine at Medomix. Um, um, so that's enough about me. That's fantastic. So, uh, Dr. Summer, I want to orient everyone, and uh, when you're ready to have us follow along with you on the slides, then uh, we're probably up to number three on the slides, and uh want to go ahead and get started on the topic. I know there are a lot of people listening in who are really eager to hear um, about what's, what's the opportunity for blood tests for mitochondrial disease diagnosis. Sure, and um, and uh, in the fifteen to twenty minutes, I I thought that I would focus on mito uh, on mito DX, which is uh, uh, which is available at this moment, and and can um, uh, can um, analyze. The mitochondrial genome at a level that was just was not possible before next-gen sequencing. Um, right. So, first to put things into perspective, um, um, in generating the slides for the talk, I came up with the mito minute, and um, 
an important point which uh, which many of you may be aware of is that um, um, the, the emerging consensus over the last few years is that the frequency of mitochondrial diseases in children is really much higher than what was thought before. For perspective, mitochondrial medicine is only about 20 years uh, old, and uh, there were some esoteric syndromes that were defined initially, uh, uh, and they had a frequency of about 1 in 5,000. But I think it's become clear that as we apply more powerful tools, there are many more people, adults and children, that that have mitochondrial um, uh, disease than what was thought before. And almost all the symptoms of medicine can, um, can arise from mitochondrial disease. Anyway, so bottom line is that, um, that if the frequency in children is, is 1 in 500, that's about the same frequency as all childhood cancer put together. And it implies that every minute there's a baby born somewhere in the world who will develop a mitochondrial disease by age 10. Um, Christy, shall I call out the slides when I change them, or? That would be great. You can just that say, moving okay. on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on to the next slide. So, um, if, um, <clears throat> if we say that mitochondrial diseases as a whole, notice that I use the plural, mitochondrial diseases. <clears throat> if we say that mitochondrial diseases as uh, a whole is an elephant, okay, then roughly half the elephant is due to mutations in the DNA that's within the mitochondria. So the mitochondria um, uh, have their own small piece of DNA. I say small relative to what's in the nucleus, which is which is where most most of our DNA is. Um, uh, but it's not so small. It's got sixteen thousand five hundred bases, and um, and there are many many copies. There are hundreds in some cells, thousands of copies of this cell, uh, mitochondrial genome. And um, so uh, and there are 37 genes on, in that genome. And if those genes are defective, if any one of those is knocked down substantially, then mitochondrial disease can uh, uh, result. So that's half the elephant, and that's what MitoDx um addresses. The uh, roughly other half of uh, uh, the elephant are genes within our regular chromosomes, our nuclear genes, um, that, uh, that are also important in, um, in mitochondrial um, um, function. Next slide. So, um, MitoDx uh, utilizes next-gen sequencing, also known as massively parallel sequencing, to sequence the entire mitochondrial genome not once or twice, but thousands of times. And in some cases, this allows the diagnosis of mitochondrial disease to be made with a blood sample rather than with painful muscle biopsies. 
In some cases, it still does not. That's important. Okay. So, and, and um, uh, it's a test of unprecedented power for the diagnosing of um, uh, mitochondrial um, uh, disease. Um, so, um, next slide. Um, um, so, um, I mentioned that next-gen sequencing is massively parallel sequencing. It's, it uses different technology and allows the, um, the bases of, of, uh, of the mitochondrial genome to be enumerated uh, so many times that heteroplasty can be detected at low levels. And moving on to the next slide. Um, uh, let's talk about homoplasmy and heteroplasmy and the differences between them. And um, first, uh, let's talk about the big picture for the mitochondrial genome. So, um, um, some of us, many of us, uh, have only one type of DNA a, a mitochondrial DNA genome uh, with, uh, within our cells in a given tissue, okay? But some of us have two or more types of mitochondrial DNA. And, and, uh, and that's because uh, um, some of the genomes may differ by one nucleotide or more. And sometimes that difference may not cause a, a, a problem, but sometimes it may, and it may inactivate a gene. Okay. Um, and the percentage of, if it, there is an abnormal mitochondrial DNA, the percentage of that abnormality is um, key. So if, um, uh, if in a cell or in in a tissue, 30%, 40%, 70% of the mitochondrial genomes are abnormal, then, uh, then, then that, that can produce an energy bottleneck. And, and if there's an energy stress, that can cause problems in that um, um, tissue. And the exact threshold also depends on the um, tissue. Okay, so that's the big picture of heteroplasmy. Um, when we sequence all 16,500 nucleotides, and, and I'm moving on to the next slide, uh, we, we, we ask ourselves whether there's any hetero, heteroplasmy at any one of the 16,000 500 nucleotides, and we look one by one. So we take nucleotide one, okay, and we say, well, if more than 99% of the nucleotides at, at that site are of this one kind, we call it, we call this nucleotide that has base one homoplasmic. If it's less than 99%, uh, um, uh, uh, then, then we call it heteroplasmic. Okay. And and we can see heteroplasmic changes uh, down to about one percent. Okay, so moving on to the next slide. Well, how how do we do this? Well, 
We do this from blood, which is preferable, okay. Uh, we, uh, we can also do it from saliva or from tissue like muscle biopsy. Okay? And then we extract the DNA. We uh, uh, do a PCR amplification. And if you recall, I mentioned that PCR was the first key enabling step in this uh, revolution that's, uh, that's, that's coming. And then we, we do something called the library construction and emulsion PCR amplification. And then uh, we, we use um, the applied biosystem solid sequencer. And um, it's, uh, it's about a $600,000 instrument. And it can generate an awful lot of sequence. It generates so much data that we need a lot of computing power uh, to analyze it. We've got a bioinformatics group um, uh, that uh, that um, uh, that does a lot of that analysis, of, uh, um, and and we've um, um, developed that over the last. Um, year and a half. That is, we've developed a, a software for analyzing it. And then after that, uh, um, Dr. Carolyn Buzin, who's a mutation expert who works with me, uh, and I look at uh, look at the data, analyze the data, and put it into a clinical perspective. And we send a report, and that we send a report to the physician. We work only with physicians. We support them, and we consult to them on the uh, interpretation of the um, um, test. And um, um, so our report is a, a one and a half, one to one and a half. Page bottom line. Um, uh, did we find anything that's uh, very likely to cause, or likely to cause mitochondrial disease, or not? Uh, and um, uh, and and then uh, uh, we discuss what uh, uh, what what we um, uh, found, and then we have a supplementary report which is like a mini master's thesis because we are we're processing so much information. I call what we do genostics, not diagnostics, because diagnostics typically provides the physician and not typically but uh, but traditionally has provided the physicians with um, little bits of data um, uh, that that uh, that they're the gatekeepers of. Uh, they just care that it arrives in a timely manner and that it's accurate. But we process so much information. We're the physician's partner uh, in this because a physician in private practice, no matter how specialized, um, can't keep up with. Uh, um, uh, with with all the um, um, research that's going on, and that's what we do. We live and breathe mitochondrial medicine and mitochondrial genetics. 
Okay, moving on to the next slide. Um, um, we have a uh, bioinformatics pipeline, and um, I think in the interest of time, I'm just going to skip over that, because I want to, in, in the remaining time, um, tell you about uh, the clinical analysis of the, fir of the first 21 cases. They refer to us by mitodocs. In general, the, the, the samples that come to us come from experts in, in mitochondrial disease. And, um, uh, and those are the first 21 that we wanted to analyze because these are physicians with expertise in, uh, in mitochondrial disease. And these all came to us because there was a reasonable to high level of um, uh, suspicion of mitochondrial uh, disease. Now remember, we are looking at the um, at at the half, roughly half the elephant, which is the um, mitochondrial um, uh, genome. But that half the elephant does present in somewhat different ways. So our mitochondrial DNA comes from our mom. That's very different from our nuclear um, DNA, which comes half from our mom and, 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 and half from, uh, from our uh, dad. And one of the hallmarks of mitochondrial genome disease is that, um, uh, is that there's a tendency that all the children of a um, um, mother will be affected. However, however, um, it, it is often, very often the case that one might be severely affected, maybe the others might be mildly affected, or one might be moderately affected and another one mildly affected. So unless the physician is really skilled in this interpretation, it's very easy to miss that. Um, uh, also, um, Another characteristic of mitochondrial genome disease is that uh, is, is that the uh, uh, children of a mother will will have a, um, might have some overlapping um, symptoms, but they'll have their own different symptoms, and that's because in one child uh, um, the the um, uh, mutation that causes a problem may be more elevated in one tissue um, than another, but it will be different in the next child. All right, so bottom line is that in eight of those 21 cases, we found a heteroplasmic, putatively deleterious mutation you know, that either was very likely or likely to... Um, uh, to to be the cause of uh, uh, of the uh, mitochondrial disease. Note that in another seven, we found no evidence of mitochondrial genome disease, and so uh, that tells the physician to look elsewhere. And that elsewhere might uh, might be uh, nuclear genes that could cause mitochondrial disease, or or other um, genetic defects that can cause things that can look like mitochondrial disease or perhaps some environmental factor. 
And then um, there was a group of six where we did find some heteroplasmic mutations, but they were unlikely to be deleterious. Actually, five of them were really unlikely. So really, 12 out of the 21, uh, we, we, uh, we didn't find anything likely. And I think that's also very helpful. Um, um, uh, in one, there was really a um, question. And then once these results are obtained, now the blood um, is much more accessible than um, uh, muscle. So in some of these cases, the physician may have enough to make the diagnosis of mitochondrial disease. In some of the some of these other patients, given these results, um, uh, he or she may want to reevaluate um, uh, or uh, explore other possibilities and may make a diagnosis. Therefore, also preventing uh, a uh, muscle biopsy. But there are still a few cases, and, and um, uh, for example, that one intermediate case that I mentioned to you, where it's still, I, I think, necessary to go to a muscle biopsy. Okay, um, and I think I've talked, um, uh, I think I'm done with my 20 minutes. So uh, there are other slides um, uh, um, that, uh, that give some sample clinical histories. Uh, I chose four four patients. The first two are, are in the group of putatively deleterious mutations. The next one is uh, in this uh, second group, unlikely to be deleterious, but where we did find a heteroplasmic variant. And the last one was an example of a patient where we, we really didn't find any substrate, um, any genetic substrate. Um, um, uh, for the for the mitochondrial disease, and an important point for those of you that have the slides is to protect privacy. I I um, uh, I changed uh, numbers and things, and some of those numbers, for example, got uh, um, there's only sixteen thousand nucleotides, and uh, patient number one has a mutation at one hundred and fifty one thousand. 524. So you just have to understand that I just made some random changes in numbers, but it does not change the substance of uh, um, of the find uh, um, or the illustrative nature of the findings. So, Chrissy, um, maybe what I, what I'll do now is I'll skip these and and maybe we can go back to them if there are questions. What do you think? I think that's great. Let's take some questions. Okay. okay, but wait, 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 wait. One last thing. One last thing. I did want to mention that uh, uh, that um, that soon, in a few months, uh, we um, we will be offering uh, a test that you call the mitonucleome DX test. And that's that other half of the elephant. It's the hundreds of nuclear genes that can cause mitochondrial diseases. Okay. That's okay. It. So um, I'm sure we have a few questions. I'm going to remind everyone to, that you can use star six 
to mute or unmute your line. So if you're in a place where there's um, background noise or you're on a cell phone, then just use star six to mute and unmute your line. And uh, when you ask your question, if you are okay to do so, would you please um, you know, introduce yourself or tell us a little bit about your relationship to mitochondrial disease? So let's go ahead and open the floor for questions. One second, we'll unmute everyone. Okay, so uh, we'll just take turns. We're in a virtual classroom here, so we'll just take turns. Who would like to ask the first question of Dr. Summer? Hi, um, my name is Ted. I'm calling from um, Action Pharmacy. I'm an intern with Dino. Um, I'm wondering, Dr. Summer, if um, you ever did a correlation study between uh, muscle biopsy results and your uh, DNA testing results and see if there's a correlation between diagnoses of the diseases or the specific types of diseases at all? So that's a very good question. Um, uh, that, that work is ongoing. Now, there is a literature using more conventional methods that, uh, um, uh, that, that shows that, that there's often a, a correlation, but it is not perfect. Uh, and again, that's part of the art of medicine. Um, you know, you have to, this is, uh, this is, um, the, um, MITRE-DX provides a level of scrutiny not possible before, but it has to be put into the whole patient environmental picture by the physician. Great. Okay, great, great question. Who would like to ask the next question? Go ahead. Who would like to ask the next question? Hello. Yep, go ahead. Oh, okay, so I'm new to this. Um, I have a question. The genesis that I saw for myself said that it's very possible that I have a mitochondrial disorder. And I'm seeing a uh, neurologist who's an MDA doctor. And he did an EMG nerve conduction study, MRI. Um, I had a athena diagnostic mitochondrial myopathy panel done. And I had a muscle biopsy. All of those things so far has turned up negative, other than a type 2 muscle fibrotrophy and my muscle biopsy. My son also has symptoms. His doctor thinks that as well that it could be mitochondrial. And he's had a chromosomal microarray done, and that was negative. Would there be any chance that this test might pick something up that the others were all negative, or would we need some other test to kind of pointing to an answer? Um, so... Your question was, would there be any chance? Uh, and the answer is yes. Um, uh, one important point um, that um, that I want to make to everyone that uh, it's real important uh, that that um, that you have these discussions with your physician who knows the whole picture. Mitochondrial disease in its diagnosis is uh, is often a challenge. If it's if it's correct and 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 um, uh, often there can be treatments, right? Not cures, 
But often there can be treatments that, that, can, uh, that can make a big difference. And that reminds me to recognize um, Dr. Richard Bowles, who's our distinguished clinical consultant. And um, uh, he, he uh, reviews our um, reports and provides his input. So he's a MITADOC at Children's Hospital, Los Angeles. Um, um, the um, UNDF, I believe, has, uh, uh, um, has a uh, list of uh, mitochondrial specialists. I may be wrong about that, okay? I may be wrong about whether that list is available, but one, um, if you go to the website, you can see speakers at that meeting, and if they're MDs, uh, these are um, these are a sample of very experienced and expert mitodocs. So I say that because um, um, if um, if you are um, if you feel like you want a second opinion, okay. Um, uh, there, there are resources, including your uh, doctor, um, especially your doctor, um, uh, um, uh, uh, to kind of get that, uh, get that second opinion. So um, we do not consult the patients directly. We work with a physician. That's the standard diagnostic model, and I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. Okay. Um, and someone who's um, maybe on another line, I just want to encourage you to use star six to mute your line so we have uh, don't have any background noise. Um, the, I believe that the, uh, the list that you mentioned is not available. Um, but the Mitochondrial Medicine Society does have a partial list as well. Um, Dr. Summer, you know, I think that some patients also wonder um, what, how do they go about then even approaching this with their doctor? Um, if their doctor doesn't know about it and they can't really request the test themselves, then what, what do you recommend? Um, so, uh, uh, there's, there's a couple of things that, uh, uh, that patients can do. Uh, first of all, uh, they can, um, uh, bring, uh, bring our website that has information on our test to the, uh, physician's attention. Also, uh, David, uh, David Keene uh, uh, works uh, works with us, and 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 he's in he's in patient support. So, um, um, uh, I um, uh, he may be able if if you contact him, and his email is David Keane at Nodomics dot com. Uh, if you if if you email, he may be able to email the physician directly. Not maybe, but he can email the physician directly some information so that they would have it. Um, great. Okay. Do we have another question from the audience? 
Go ahead. Does someone have a question? I do. I, um, hi, my name is Harriet. I have a nephew who has mitochondrial disease, and I have a 14-year-old son. Does this okay. test, is there any way that this test can determine if you're a carrier? Um, should I start having my son tested? He doesn't appear to have any um, disease. How old is your son? My son is 14. Your son is 14, and... Uh, my, nephew has, my nephew's um, mitochondrial disease um, started showing around the time he was tw about 20 years old. Okay, and and has there been a definitive diagnosis on on the kind of mitochondrial disease that your nephew has? Yes, he has. Um, I reprinted it out. Sorry, go ahead. Keep talking. I just went blank. He loves. Okay. Uh -huh. okay. Has a specific mutation been found? Don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, uh, that's the kind of thing that you you, know, you should you should talk to your physician. Now, Nellis uh, uh, is a um, mitochondrial genome disease. And we look at all the bases. So sometimes a, a child has the symptoms of that, and and one of the common mutations, which are tested for by uh, by a number of laboratories, one of those common mutations is not found because because other mutations can 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 cause that. And um, uh, so we look at all the nucleotides and. So in that latter case, uh, then uh, then it would be beneficial because one could confirm or refute well, the diagnosis. Okay. Does that answer your question, Harriet? Thank you. Great. Uh, who would like to ask another question? Uh, this is Kathy from Baltimore. Um, I have uh, mitochondrial disease, as do my three children. My daughter was diagnosed by muscle biopsy, and Dr. Schaffner did the mtDNA sequencing back in 2005 and did not find a mutation. So I think it sounds like we're pretty good candidates for your testing. My question is, we have blood right now, but we also have frozen muscle tissue. Is there a preference for what type of specimen you want? Um, if you have... Well, I would say both of them would be ideal. Yes, if you have frozen muscle, then that's great. We would, so muscle, if there are, uh, first I, I should ask if, if, uh, um, if the mitochondrial disease has symptoms affecting muscle. Yes. And you're right. Now that's an important point. Uh, the most common, organ uh, that's, that's affected is the brain, right? That's where you want to go, but there's a little problem. We don't want to be sticking needles in people's brains, right? So the muscle is, um, is uh, um, used as, as an, a relatively uh, uh, accessible um, uh, issue, but it's not applicable to all families. And so that's an important point. MitoDX 
can be especially helpful in families where there's mitochondrial disease, but there's not a major symptomatology in the muscle. If it's uh, neurological, ophthalmological, gastroenterological, gastroenterological um, right? Um, um, you know, this this allows uh, analysis of blood to be uh, to be more informative. Anyway, so that's a long-winded way of saying. Uh, um, Saying yes, both both samples are best. Uh, I have a go ahead, Dr. Summer. Yes, but uh, but the one if you already have muscle, if um, if that effort has 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 already um, uh, been been done, if you had to choose one and muscle is affected, yes, then then. Send muscle. So we could conceivably send muscle, and if we don't get anything on muscle, then try with blood. Uh, or do, okay. would you like to have them both at the same Thyroid, time for yes, comparison? Yes, that would be ideal. That would be ideal. Yes. Okay, thank you. I have a question over email. Uh, the question is, if you have on your website or um, Dr. Summer any a list of doctors or centers that are using. Medomics testing right now. Uh, no, we do not. Um, but um, so, uh, but I will uh, just a few that come to mind. Um, LA Children's, uh, Rady Children's uh, at uh, at the University of California, um, San San Diego, um, are are. Um, Couple that uh, come to mind: uh, Cleveland Clinic, um, um, the uh, the uh, uh, University of Ontario uh, in Canada Hospital. And there are others. Right. Um, I'm not sure if the person who is. Um, on the phone can hear us, but if you're on the phone and um, not in a quiet place, could you please use star six to mute your line because we're getting a lot of your background conversation in our background. So if you're talking to someone else, if you could please use star six to mute your line, then we would really appreciate it. Uh, I had uh, wanted to open the group for a couple more questions. So oh, I have a question. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, I didn't know if I was unmuted now. Um, I uh, My son has a mitochondrial disease. Um, I carry the same mutation. We had the uh, we had um, muscle biopsies, frozen and fresh. He's 18 years old right now. And a few years ago, we did the mitoDNA test um, and confirmed that he has, um, or that we have, uh, a mutation in... Um, 3397A through G in the mitoDNA on ND1. Um, but it's in the conserved part, and it hasn't been written about very much. But my son's very involved. He, um, you know, has much muscle issues, failure to thrive. He's 18. He's 5 foot tall and 82 pounds, which he's been for the past three years or so. Mm-hmm. He lost his hearing from age 10 to 13. Now wears a cochlear implant, you know, a lot of speech issues. Um, right now, there's a lot of trying to, you know, keep um, 
kind of keep him motor-wise from getting stiff. And I'm wondering if your test, um, you know, can I, – I think that it's not just um, – he's actually very similar to um, – someone on my father's side as opposed to, you know, my my mother's side, um, it being in the mito DNA. And I'm wondering if your tests can also determine whether there are other um, nuclear DNA that can contribute to this or, you know, we think that there's something else going on genetically. I'm just wondering what, what your tests can show or might be able to pick up um, well, so um, sometimes there can be two things going on. Um, usually, it's one thing because these genetic diseases are rare. So yes, there can sometimes be two things, but it also raises the question of you know is there is there something that explains everything? Is there another way of looking at it that uh, 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 that that might explain everything? As you understand, if there's something on your father's side, that's not going to um, um, be um, the your father's mitochondrial genome DNA did not go to you. Exactly. Right. There's right. something so perhaps in the nuclear DNA yeah. that affects the, the mito. Yes. Well, but the other thing is that suggests, um, all right, I um, I need to be careful. Uh, so um, there's an art and science to yes. genetics, okay? Yes. And uh, and you've told me a few uh, bits of information, okay? Um, you've told me enough to say that well, it doesn't seem certainly in your mind like uh, like the uh, like the picture is clear. So can Mito DX provide a clearer picture of what's going on in the mitochondrial genome? Definitely yes. Is it um, uh, is is it a good fit for your particular situation? You need uh, an expert mitodoc to work with you and to make that to help you and your family make that decision together. And I'm sorry because I did come in later in the discussion, but how? How is your test um, different than the DNA sequencing that we already did, you know, some so, years ago? So the DNA sequencing, um, well, uh, so <clears throat> there are two basic types of DNA sequencing tests that, that have been available for a bit, for some years. The first and most common is sequencing for particular mutations. I call that looking under the street lamp. Huh? Uh, uh, and um, then as, the, uh, as technology um, uh, progressed, there were, there were a few labs that roughly a couple of years ago started uh, 
offering mitochondrial genome sequence. And what what they did was they sequenced the 16,000 bases once or maybe twice. And they could pick up, you know, the major sequences or something that had a very high, that had a high heteroplasmy, okay? Um, uh, we sequence it thousands of times thanks to the power of next-gen sequencing. So, and, and, and we can pick up changes uh, that, uh, uh, that are as low as 1% of the total. So, in other words, if someone's um, found something doing the, um, the sequencing, you know, the, the genome sequencing in the, back, uh, in the past, uh, that they could, um, they could definitely benefit from having this newer test and, and getting more information. So, um, there's a Especially couple of things. We can, we can quantitate much better what was found before. That's one. The stuff that's found is found, but there's others, uh, other mutations that might be involved that would have been missed because they would have been below the threshold. That's, uh, uh, that's where, um, that's where MITO DX uh, um, could, could be particularly helpful. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Dr. Summer, do you have time for a couple more questions? Yeah. Okay, great. Who would like to ask another question? Yeah. Um, it's Jean. I'm from Canada, from Western Canada. And presently my uh, son, who's also an adult, um, is having his... Um, DNA, DNA testing done. I don't know whether it's your test or not. I don't know whether it's being done in Vancouver. But um, he is a unizygotic twin, and I'm wondering what the chances are that uh, what, if we find out what the source of uh, his um, mental problem is, uh, whether uh, we can expect that our, his uh, twin would have it as well. And uh, by unizygotic, you meant monozygotic, so they are identical twins? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, so, um, um, almost always that the answer is yes. Again, I, um, uh, I, I refer you to your doctor. There can be a few special cases, but... Yes, uh, monozygotic, first of all, sometimes it can be, believe it or not, a little tricky to determine if the two are monozygotic, okay, usually not, okay, um, uh, um, but uh, yes, the uh, uh, one should apply to the other in that case. Okay, there's no, no uh, possibility of... Um Heteroplasmy into into that. Um, yes, and okay. Even in identical twins, one might have severe symptoms and one might have moderate or even mild symptoms. Is that the case with your twins? Uh, I would say that in actual fact, both of them uh, have have symptoms. I I also have some mitochondrial disease. 
uh, and uh, the one son who has been diagnosed has, uh, from his muscle biopsy, shows the same uh, one, two, and four uh, uh, deletions are problems in the in the respiratory chain. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, your two sons, though your twin sons, do they have symptoms? Do they do they have uh, the uh, the same kinds of symptoms and at the same severity? Um, I would say that the severity of uh, the one who has not been diagnosed is not as, as um, much as uh, the one who has been diagnosed. They're a little bit different or a lot different? Not a lot. <laughs> okay, so subtly. Okay. But one aspect of mitochondrial genome disease, you don't, uh, you wouldn't, in identical twins, you wouldn't. Uh, expect to see this with a nuclear mitochondrial mutation, but one of the ways in which the mitochondrial genome is different is that you can have uh, identical twins with uh, um, with significantly different symptom severity and also overlapping uh, symptoms, but some unique symptoms to one or the other. And uh, and and a uh, and a mitodoc experienced in the art of mitochondrial disease might see that, and it would smell like mitochondrial genome disease as opposed to uh, uh, mitochondrial nuclear DNA disease. Okay, and there is the possibility that that. Uh, um, it could be a, a nuclear um, genome as well, because there is a nuclear um, dominant Wardenburg syndrome in my family. So uh, there's so many questions, and we'd like to get some answers because we have um, uh, I have grandchildren that are uh, at the stage where they would like to know. Yes, yes. Well, uh, so uh, they're. Uh, there are labs uh, that uh, that perform testing for Wardenburg syndrome, um, uh, and um, again, the symptoms of Wardenburg syndrome would would generally be different than uh, uh, than that of uh, uh, mitochondrial disease. By the way, there is a um, uh, a very useful website called Gene Test. It lists the diagnostic labs uh, um, in in the U.S. Uh, on a gene by gene basis. That is, you can search for a given gene or a given disease, like Wardenburg syndrome, and you can find the diagnostic labs that have testing for it. Uh, it's called Gene Test. One word, G-E-N-E-T-E-S-T uh, dot org. I believe it's dot org. Okay, thank you. That's sure. Good information. Uh, great questions. Would someone like to ask another question? Uh, hello? Yep, go ahead. Yes, uh, my name is Peter Velastro. Um, I'm from upstate New York, and I have a son that is 27. 
a daughter of 23 that has been diagnosed with mitochondrial DNA depletion disorder syndrome, heptocerebral form. Um, Dr. Summer, I believe that must be a nuclear um, uh, mitochondrial disease. Um, you know what? The connection on my end was not good. Say the diagnosis again, please. Yes, it's a, a mitochondrial DNA depletion disorder syndrome, heptocerebral form. Um, Dr. Darius Adams out of Albany Med uh, explained to us that it's a recessive gene that both my wife and I carry. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's yeah. in nuclear? Correct. Yeah. Um, could you tell me, um, they've done a, bio- a muscle biopsy on my son, and we haven't yet been able to uh, find the mutation or the specific gene responsible. Um, could, you did mention that you have a blood test coming up in the next couple of months, and I didn't catch that. Um, well, soon, the next few months. Could you not, not one month or two months, but maybe three months. Could you say the name of that test so I could be looking for it? Sure. Uh, mitonucleome DX. And the ohm is the whole, okay. Uh, this, this would test simultaneously for hundreds of nuclear genes. Including all of those that have been, or essentially all of those that have been uh, um, associated with uh, mitochondrial diseases. So, mito for mitochondria, nucleo for uh, nuclear, ohm, the whole thing. Okay. Is there any other testing now that you could suggest that we we look into? Uh, Well, so there is testing provided by certain other laboratories for individual gene. It's a gene by gene. Um, and uh, um, Dr. Schaffner's lab in Atlanta was uh, mentioned. Uh, Baylor College of Medicine is, uh, uh, lab has some tests. But again, theirs is a gene by gene test. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Uh, great. Who would like to ask another question? Okay, this is uh, probably your last opportunity. So, any other final questions for Dr. Summer? Hello. Okay. Go ahead. This is Mark Jupinville speaking. Hi, um, Mark. Hi. I'm Nick. Here's a question. Uh, my wife was diagnosed with mitochondrial disease through the remnants of a muscle biopsy. Uh, she's had anti-DNA studies done through transgenomic. I'm going to go back a three years ago. Does your test differ, and is it... Transgenomic test uses something that's not uh, quite as uh, rigorous as um, sequencing, although it can detect many mutations. And then, um, so ours uses sequencing, and it uses massively parallel sequencing, and it um, it has a uh, 
it has a greater sensitivity um, from blood, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, but again, I want to be careful, okay? Because you need to, um, uh, again, we can provide information to your doctor, okay? Your doctor who's got the transgenomic report and who who knows the details of of your clinical and biochemical situation, that's the person who uh, who kind of has has the information to determine whether uh, uh, whether MitoDX is helpful. Perhaps there's no uncertainty in that person's mind in what your diagnosis is. Then there's no point in doing MitoDX. If there are remaining questions, and depending what those questions are, MitoDX can be very helpful. Right, because the only the only uh, uh, pointing factor is electron transport chain check that was done. Other than other than uh, symptoms such as such as uh, gastrointestinal, uh, actually she just had two strokes that we believe were mitral related uh-huh. as others. So I think it's it's more of a way to try to see if you can if it uh, if it can be narrowed down a little bit more yeah. uh, with a widespread uh, test. Know, that would cover some of the things that haven't been done previously. Yes, and 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 so uh, what you're saying is that there's no genetic diagnosis, and so that always leaves uncertainty. Right. Uh, and uh, and I just want to remind you that the mitochondrial genome is part of the elephant, right? Roughly half. Right. Okay. The other half of it are, uh, are the uh, uh, nuclear genes. And as I think at least one of the questions uh, asked before illustrated, and one can smell often the presence of mitochondrial genome disease or mitochondrial nuclear disease. It's not perfect by any means, but... Uh, uh, that's um, that's kind of the art of clinical genetics and metabolic uh, 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 disease uh, uh, diagnosis. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. Dr. Summer, it's a few minutes after 1 uh, here, and I know you're in California, a few minutes after 10 or 9. Would you like to take a few more questions? It sounds like people might still have a couple, or um, how's your time? Um, I have another 10 minutes. Okay. Um, so does anyone have an additional question? Yes, Ashley, can I ask a question? Go ahead. Okay. Um, yes, I was diagnosed, um, my test actually was done with Baylor you know, um, College, and it was back in 2008, and they found ragged red fibers. And as far as, as anything else, they didn't see anything. But um, my blood work came back that, you know, I had levocarnitine deficiency and, and other things that I had problems with. So they knew I had it, uh, mitochondrial myopathy at least. Um, but they believe it's on the nuclear side. 
Um, but they, when they, when Doctor told me when he tested me for the, the Baylor College, he said he only looked at certain things that he believed that I may have, like you know, like you mentioned earlier about testing only in certain for certain types of looking for certain types of mitochondrial disease. Um, is that common that they do that? And you guys, you guys look at everything, obviously. So. And that hasn't been possible before. So, so the um, uh, the progress uh, um, in academia, right? Uh, uh, the scientists, the professors working on on these problems have 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 led to uh, uh, <coughs> have have led to better understanding and more powerful tools. And um, and Next-gen sequencing is uh, something that you're going to be hearing about more and more as 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 time uh, progresses. So we were the first, um, as far as I know, we were the first uh, uh, diagnostic laboratory really focused on the application of uh, of this uh, technology. Now there are. A few others. This one that's been funded recently focused on the application of uh, this technology to uh, cancer um, uh, diagnosis. Um, right, and and so maybe uh, yeah, I just um, um, want to just say a few words. Um, uh, something that's going to be coming not right away, but. Uh, uh, but in within ten years and and actually hopefully less is a pharmacogenomics rational nutrition uh, battery of tests uh, that that will allow the biochemical differences of each person uh, are relevant to drug metabolism uh, um, and um, and drug, 99% of the drugs that we take, we take through food. We may not think of it that way, but all the things that are not, uh, are not part of our biochemistry, they are drugs. And we differ. You and I differ uh, at at many different places in our genome, and one person's mana is another person's poison. Okay, and um, uh, and uh, I, I like to use mother's milk as an example. Right, mother's milk is uh, um, um, uh, on the food chain of many such high status. But there are babies that mother's milk will blind, other babies mother's milk will retard them, other babies and mother's milk will cause them seizures, and the list goes on. And it's because of the biochemical differences that uh, we have. So it's an exciting time, and um, uh, and uh, Medomics was started with a small business loan and my life savings. And uh, we have got uh, two MD-PhDs. We've got uh, um, 
five other PhDs and we're and uh, um, half a dozen others, and we're we're kind of all kind of working with this vision of how we can uh, uh, apply this really wonderful tool to medicine. And mitochondrial medicine for the next few years is it looks like it's it's our complete focus, and we hope to um, really make the diagnosis much easier and we're working very hard on this other half of the elephant so that uh, both the nuclear genes and all the mitochondrial genes can be analyzed. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, so maybe time for one more question. So uh, who would like to have uh, another question? I, I would, Dr. Summer. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Uh, mm -hmm. My name is Kim Andrews. I live in Boston, Massachusetts. And, uh, sir, I was so diagnosed in 2001 um, with mitochondrial disease. I had a muscle biopsy in Atlanta, Georgia, in 2002. And I never had, my question is, I, I only had um, the muscle biopsy done without the nuclear testing done, nuclear uh, testing done. Um, I couldn't afford it, so um, I didn't get it done. Is that is that important to have done? Well, <clears throat> so everything depends on the details. Sometimes biochemical testing can pin things down with uh, uh, with good certainty. Often it can't, though. So again, it depends on. The whole picture. Well, I was diagnosed with, um, uh, they found I break down in the Krebs cycle in 1, 4, and partial 2. And now I'm so sick, my body is rejecting food. I, I can't eat food. I've been on Insure for 10 years, and I, I drink a bottle of Insure, or I sip it, just sip it over a four-hour period, and I break out into the sweat. Like I'm, anyway, my body's rejecting food. So you were talking about food and nutrition, and I thought, oh, brother. <laughs> you know, I, I, so I'm sort of wondering if the nuclear DNA testing would help my doctor to, I don't know, figure out the GI. Is your doctor a mitochondrial yes. specialist? Yes, in okay. Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. At the floating okay. hospital. Well, okay. Um, so, um, you know, these these are discussions that you should have with uh, him or her, and 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 if you want a second opinion, if you're not doing well, you need to be investing in your health and uh, and you know maybe going um, yeah, going somewhere else to get a second opinion if. Uh, if things are not going well, I mean, often a different uh, pair of eyes and a different brain can uh, can um, uh, can can maybe find can solve a puzzle. Sometimes these things are yeah, they're, they're they're very challenging challenging puzzles. So, Would your uh, test help me? Pardon? Would your testing help me? So potentially yes. Potentially yes. Uh, uh, um, 
but again, it 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 all depends on the details. Um, uh, if there's uh, uh, if there's some um, reasonable suspicion that you have mitochondrial genome disease, uh, uh, then uh, then the, the the test might be very helpful. Um, so. Um, um, so would my uh, doctor contact you? So he he can absolutely contact me. Um, contact uh, contact us here in the Domics. Also, um, uh, let me give you Dave Keen's email again. Uh, uh, he he works with uh, patients. He is with us at Medomix. Um He's based in Atlanta, actually, and and his email is David D A V I D dot K E A N E at Medomix. A N E. That's right. At Medomix. M E D O M I C S. And also, still survivor sounds pretty slow. Not okay. Dot um, com. com, actually. Okay, thank you so much, sir. Sure. Okay, take care. Thank you, sir. All right, so Dr. Summer, as you can tell, there's a, obviously such an interest from the mitochondrial disease um, patient and family community about um, what you're doing and about this. And, you know, I think you offer us hope for the future. Um, as these tests evolve because there is so much confusion and stress around the diagnosis of mitochondria. Oh, I know that, yes, yes. And, and uh, well, uh, we, uh, uh, we're hoping that, uh, that, that uh, we can help. Yeah. Now, I know uh, it's such a, um, such a difficult uh, disease. Dr. Summer, is there anything special on your website that you think would be um, especially useful for patients and also any other closing thoughts or comments you'd like to leave us with? Oh, that's a good question. Well, um, on our media page, um, you can see sound bites uh, um, on, um, let's see, on LA CBS, on Hawaii CBS, on I think Denver, um, um, NBC, um, uh, and actually KPLA Los Angeles is a really nice one, um, and and uh, and that's useful um, uh, just to give uh, um, someone because I know one issue, uh, one one issue. Uh, that families have to deal with is they say, well, my uh, I have mitochondrial disease and my child has mitochondrial disease and people don't have a sense of it. So this is a 90-second soundbite which uh, uh, um, on uh, on one of our on one of our first uh, patients and and I, I think it provides some good information and. Uh, and, and it also shows how the diagnosis, uh, at least in some cases, can result in uh, in treatment that can make a big difference. 
That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Summer, for uh, being with us today. Well, it is my pleasure. Everyone uh, obviously can sense your true passion and commitment to this. You know, it's really your life's work. It's, it comes across so clearly. So thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, care. I want to tell everyone that next week is Mitochondrial Disease Awareness Week internationally. No matter where you are, we want you to be able to help raise awareness about mitochondrial disease um, and wear your um, mitopin. Um, if you would like to request that we mail you a awareness kit, includes a pin as well as um, we just got some new posters and some other um, postcards and things that you could put out in your community, you can send us an email. Send the emails, please, to support at mitoaction.org and include your address and that you're requesting an awareness kit. We'd like to get as many of those out as possible, um, you know, in the next day or two so that you do get them for next week to help circulate around your community. Um, I'm also very excited to tell you I don't have it on the website yet, but I want you to be looking out for it. We have a fantastic um, soundbite done by Jan Rabson, who's a um, infamous character voiceover um, fellow who has done uh, pro bono, a, a wonderful soundbite about mitochondrial disease in a sound file that you can have played at your local radio station. So even though um, I don't have it on the website yet, I encourage you to go ahead and lay the groundwork by putting in a call to the um, air manager at your local radio station and just ask them if you could be sending them something that they would play as many times a day as they'll allow you to next week on the radio so that we can really be raising awareness about mitochondrial disease together during Awareness Week. Um, my final request of all of you is um, next Wednesday is Light a Light for Mito. Some of you may have been involved on that conference call a couple of years ago where we came up with this idea to honor those who have lost a loved one and to mitochondrial disease. So we, we light a light for them that day and would love to be able to honor them online with the website as well. So if that applies to you, please send me an email and I'll follow up with you to get a picture and so forth. Um, anybody else have any announcements or comments before we say goodbye? Yes. As of this morning, very early, we light another light in Canada. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Jean. Uh, well, perhaps you could share the details with me, Jean, and I could... Um, uh, oh, it's, it's uh, Tucker Patterson, and he lives in Ontario. That's sad for all of us. Thanks, thanks yeah. for sharing that, Jean. Um, for anyone who has lost someone to mitochondrial disease, it makes uh, all of us parents and patients uh, appreciate um, the days and the moments and our good days all the more. So thank you for sharing that, Jean. Anyone else have anything that they would like to share or comment? All right. 
Thank you. Hi, uh, I, I have a question. Uh, I'm coming in from India. I've just logged in. And um, I have been trying to organize some efforts here to have a support group for mitochondrial disorder patients, but have not been successful in gathering any information about that. Do you think as MitoAction, uh, would you be able to help me or support me by including details about my contacts so that, you know, if people are looking for some support contact in India, they would be able to find my details on your website? Absolutely. Um, would you email me and then we could create an email together and see if we have anyone already in our on our database that is from India, we could start by sending out a request for everyone to, you know, kind of connect to each other, and then um, we would love to help. Could you email me directly? Yes, I'll do that, Christy. Um, you are also on my Facebook, so shall I just send you a message through that? I prefer if you email me at my um, director at mitoaction.org. ओके So, I applaud you for staying up late to join our teleconference today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. All right. Anyone else have any questions, comments, announcements? Thank you, Christy. Uh, that was a wonderful, wonderful speaker. Um, thank you for everything you do. And um, I know that it's really busy. And... It's showing that uh, uh, the, the the word is spreading. A call from India. Can you believe it? <laughs> we're we're all all affected, I guess, in some way. So thank you so much for that, and thank you everyone for calling in. It is our um, annual time of year where we are um, fundraising. So if you are in a position to be able to support MitoAction or you have an employer who you could approach to make a tax-deductible gift, we would be so grateful. This is the one time of year where we really um, reach out to the community to um, gather support because it it's the ATP for MitoAction for the whole coming year for the programs and commitment to free resources that we offer. So um, you can do that by visiting our website. It's mitoaction.org backslash donate. And uh, everyone, remember, request your awareness kit and your Mito pin, and um, I look forward to chatting with you again in a couple weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.